I'm Matt Bush with BPR News. I'm speaking with UNC Asheville Chancellor Dr. Mary Grant. Thank you so much for coming in. Matt, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. So your tenure is wrapping up uh, with this weekend's commencement, uh, which will take place on Friday afternoon on campus. Looking back at your time here, what really sticks out to you? There's so many things that stick out to me. You know, when you get to a milestone like commencement on Friday where we'll be graduating over 200 students, you think back about the the arc of one's time. And first of all, it's gone by so fast. Um, I think about the deepening ties and relationships with the, within the community, and that's been an important part of the work that we've done at UNC Asheville. This is an incredible place that we get to do our work and we get to teach and we get to learn and live. And so going deeper on those ties has mattered a lot. Entering into this memorandum of understanding with the Cherokees to really have a pipeline to bring students over in cohorts and seeing the success of that, working deeply within some of the housing developments in the community to create this notion that you start learning when you're little and you keep on learning right up to the programs that we're doing at Ollie. That's been a really wonderful thing to see. Having the success and the support from the General Assembly and the Board of Governors on getting some bond funding to renovate two of our academic buildings on campus and then this year breaking ground on our new residence halls where we'll be able to house over 300, almost 300 students on campus next summer and expanding Highsmith Union. And then the milestone of 90 years of UNC Asheville. That's a maturing institution in the field of higher education. So to have a chance to examine the impact of those who came before me, look at the work our alumni are doing, understand the history of the institution. There's been so many things. I'm just excited about the time here, and I can't believe how fast it's gone. Talk about the school's role in the community. Uh, how do you see it? I think that um, the school's role in the community is critical. Every, you know, we are really an anchor institution in the city of Asheville, and that means what an anchor institution is. It's a place that, first of all, we're fairly significant sized employer. So we contribute that. We're also a place where we gather the community, we convene the community for thoughtful conversations, ideas, exchange of ideas, whether it's David Brooks coming to campus or the African Americans in Western North Carolina Conference, where the Home for Leadership Asheville or the Family Business Forum, ways in which we connect with the business community, the young entrepreneurs community in the city. So there's all those things in which we invigorate the, the, the area. Our contribution to the arts, music, the performing arts, the creative arts, and what's happening in Nashville with the creative economy, very much in the part of that. The opening of the STEAM studio, which was really exciting to see that. And when I think about the intersections in Asheville of people who were here who have the creative bent, the need for new jobs and opportunities, the STEAM studio was a hub of innovation. Um, And simply a place where, you know, we had uh, a week or so ago on campus, we hosted something called the Education Game, and we had over 3,000 middle school-aged kids on campus. And so for children at a young age to begin to think about college and their future, that aspirational push too. So I think the role of the university is about being good partners. We have that responsibility to serve, to engage, to lead, to be called upon. We also have a place where people can come together and celebrate and get to know one another. Concerts on the Quad. That's a great example of a way to gather a community. So it's the it's an intellectual hub. It's a civic hub. It's an employment hub. And, and it's an education hub. We are the city's university. And we are the public liberal arts university for the state of North Carolina. So there's a really important role. And we are blessed to be in this great community. It's a wonderful community. I want to go on that. You say it's the city's university. And in the time I've been here, you know, there was a sort of shorthand of calling the university UNCA, but it's been a very big push by the school itself to want to be called UNC Asheville because the name Asheville as a brand has an identity. To you, what is the identity? What is the brand? What is the sort of uh, image, I guess, that Asheville 
presents or represents? That's a that's a really great question because we when you think about where where we are, institutions can be place based, and for us as primarily an institution that does undergraduate programs, we are a place in which when I think about the university and I think about our home in Asheville, um, it is a creative community, and the education that we do on campus is a creative brand of education. We have students who are coming in who are very environmentally conscious and really want to make their best difference. When you look at where we are placed in the mountains of Western North Carolina, the opportunity to use the outdoors as laboratory space, students who are interested in solving urban problems, the opportunity to use being in a small-scale city for problem solving. So I think that the brand of Asheville, a place that is um, is is on the move, is trying to figure out, you know, how to bring people together. It's a lot of what we do at UNC Asheville. And so I think for a liberal arts school, which is what we are, and I'm proud of that mission, we are a place where the educational opportunities are for students to go deeply, ask the right questions, be part, not to sound trite, but to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And when I think about the energy in Asheville, where people try to come together when there are problems and solve them together, that's how we approach education at UNC Asheville. Bring students together with the right faculty, pair them up with how to think, how to do, how to analyze, how to want to apply knowledge. So having this university in this city is is. We are so fortunate to be here. I was meeting with a board member earlier today, and we were talking about the intersections between the the college and its community, and they are they are deep and they are rich, and they're getting stronger all the time. And every great city has a great university, and I think we're fortunate to have both. Now, UNC Asheville is the liberal arts university of the North Carolina public school system. Um, talk about... What will we? What needs to be done? I guess to sort of broaden the student body, both ethnically and ideologically, because in some ways I think there is this perception, at the very least, that can become reality that liberal arts is a track for people of a certain race and a certain sort of political ideology. That it's mostly a white, more moderate to liberal sort of. Um, um, the student body, or at least uh, the perception is those are the kinds of people that go to get liberal arts degrees. So how do you build out a, a student body that is more ethnically and ideologically diverse? That's, um, I think that one of the things that with being within the public liberal arts, the education has to be accessible. I think that the public liberal arts is that great equalizer. And so what we're seeing on campus, as a matter of fact, our incoming freshman class in this past fall um, had 20, almost 22% of the students coming in were coming from a, a culturally diverse community. So we're seeing that shift. And we have to be reaching into those communities because the world around us is changing demographically in very, very exciting ways. We need to make sure that every single student who's coming of age in communities here in Western North Carolina, right in Nashville, across the state, know that a liberal arts education is for him or her. It is the kind of education, I don't care if you are reading blueprints in, in an automobile shop. My dad was an auto mechanic. As the field changed, he needed to understand how to use complex pieces of equipment to do his job. That's what a liberal arts education helps you to do, to understand those the, the new problems that we're dealing with. But we have to make it accessible. And I think the language sometimes get in the way. Um, the word liberal has people I associate that in today's class with a position, a political position, liberal, you know, conservative. Liberal arts, liberal, if you go back to where the orientation of liberal arts came from, liberal meant to free and arts the arts, so creative thinking, free thinking. And I meet students who are coming to UNC Asheville from communities across this state, rural communities, um, families who are first-generation students who know that this is the education that will change their lives, parents who want the 
that for their students. And so we are seeing that, but we have to make sure we're going out into those communities. So reaching out into communities like Cherokee, reaching into the urban centers, reaching out to the coastal communities here in North Carolina. There's a goal in the UNC System Strategic Plan for every one of the institutions to work deeper and more intentionally in serving students from rural communities. For us, we believe that is something that we do well already. And as a small school, Matt, when we get students who may be coming from first-generation households where they don't have a great deal of college for a variety of reasons, we're able to support those students and make it, you know, the, the environment, help them navigate what can be a first-time experience, make them feel at home, help them pull apart their ideas. And I can tell you, working with this generation of college students, they are coming to us with across the spectrum with political ideology and ways of thinking. And I think that makes us a better institution, people coming with different ways of thinking about the world. So these students are not monolithic. The way they think about the world is varied and where they're coming from is varied. Is it more perception or reality that that is the case, that liberal arts is for white, moderate to liberal, and usually people who are fairly well-to-do economically? I think it's a perception, and I think about the sector of schools. You know, we are part of the Council of Public Liberal Arts Colleges, and there are um, these are institutions across the country whose states have had the wisdom to designate a school as the public liberal arts specifically for the purpose of attracting and those students for whom liberal arts may not have been part of their dining room conversation. I think about my own history. We go back to our own histories. My dad was an auto mechanic. I was the first one in my family to go to a four-year school. I went to a public liberal arts college on scholarship work, three jobs while doing it. And so I think that it is a perception because we have students coming to us from all walks of life and going back out into the world better prepared. But one of the challenges we have and the opportunity is to translate this so that students who may think this education is out of reach or not for them know that that is just not true. Another thing you mentioned is the size of the student body at UNC Asheville. Um, It is small, and I think that's part of what the draw is for a lot of students that come there. So how do you balance that, trying to broaden everything but keeping the smaller student body, if you look around some of the other universities, you know, you're a third the size student body-wise of Western Carolina. So how do you keep both – how do you – or how are you able – to uh, meet both of those while broadening your student body but not increasing it necessarily numerically? Well, one of the things that helps a lot is being able to have scholarships to support students because the bigger the institution, sometimes there are more resources because you're just bigger. So as a small school, we have to be very innovative, very efficient, and very effective. And I would say we do all of those things well. We also have supporters, alumni, and donors who help us with scholarships because for so many of our students, that's that's the deal maker or the deal breaker. And we want the education to be affordable. North Carolina has worked hard to keep public higher education affordable, but for some families that can be out of reach. So to be accessible, to attract a broader base of students, we also have to have that scholarship support, which we're seeing happen in, in ways that allow us to continue to say to students, no, come and you're going to be successful here. We're determined to stay at the right size because, you know, when you get too big, you don't have the, the same kind of the scale just changes and there's something really wonderful even I as chancellor get to know these students and the students get to know me and I think the world in which our students are going into the importance of building those relationships learning from people who think about the world differently from you will serve them equally to the learning they're doing in the classroom so we're committed to the size and we are doing it because we're able to say to people we need your help we want this education to be there for every single student because it will change their lives. 
and talk a bit about the fundraising in higher education, this push now, not just at UNC Asheville, which talk about what the school is doing, but at other universities, and particularly in this area, both Western Carolina and Warren Wilson are doing this too, of fundraising to have more scholarships. You used to hear fundraising to go to facilities or to go to athletics or go to any number of things. This now sort of pushed to, we're going to fundraise, but it's to offer more scholarships. Well, we will fundraise to support everything. So, you know, it's it, scholarships is one piece of it. And there's fundraising, you know, when we look at endowed lecture series. So we this year, we had some great public lectures that were supported through philanthropy. That allowed us to make those lectures available to the entire community, and they were packed. And so that goes back to one of the earlier conversation points around our role in the community to provide that access. And we do that through generous support. So there there is scholarship fundraising support necessary for that to help us invest in our facilities to improve everything from our, you know, outdoor track facilities, which we use for our Bulldog Athletics program, but it's also used by the community. So I think part of it today is that when, particularly in public higher education, we have a responsibility to be a good neighbor. So as we're enriching our facilities, we use those facilities to also serve the public. We also have the benefit of having, you know, the support with the the the, the bond funding. And so using that as a way to attract some other support matching. Say we have these kinds of dollars to allow us to take it this far. With your help, we can take it further. So all of it's in play. But for us, I think we're all so concerned about continuing to make sure higher education is affordable. So therefore, the emphasis on scholarships to go directly to helping our students. And if we can help them directly, it allows us to think about how we can put resources that we might otherwise put into scholarships into other place, making sure we're taking care of this property that we're charged with, making sure we're investing in the classroom and the other pieces we need to do to have a high-quality institution pivot a bit to this about what's happening nationally, but we'll start with sort of the tax bill that's in uh, Congress right now. Now, it hasn't been passed as you and I are speaking, but it could have a pretty big impact on higher education. We'll start first looking at this. If this makes it less attractive, I guess, for high-end donors to donate or to give to charity or things like that, that could have a big effect, obviously, on universities. Um, do you think that might come to pass? Um, you know, I'm, I, it's, it's a little challenging these days to read the tea leaves on some of what's happening nationally. Um, I would hope it wouldn't create a disincentive for people to continue to be generous and supportive. I think for some folks it would, may, it would make them think about what they're doing. But I, I do think that those individuals, I've been deeply impressed by the individuals and groups that support UNC Asheville, and their passion is driving it. So I think that that would continue. And, and interestingly enough, we've been very excited to see more individuals individuals from the surrounding area realizing the value. Because if you think about people who are moving to the community, um, I, I can't even um, tell you the number of people who move here every year because of the ability to connect with the Ollie program at the Reuter Center, or to know that they can be here in this wonderful place and take classes at UNC Asheville, or go cheer on a great winning team, or go to a concert. So I think that there's a sense that when you're part of a community like that, you also have a, an opportunity to support those things that enrich the community. So certainly, it's something we're worried about. We don't want anything to create a disincentive to philanthropy or generosity. Uh, we also believe that those individuals who support us will continue to support us. But this could, this, there could be some problems with this. 
one thing in particular that's gotten a lot of spotlight is the potential change to graduate programs and how graduate students could end up having to pay taxes on the benefits they receive if they are employed um, by the university as they're getting their graduate degrees. What effect do you think that would have on graduate programs, not just at UNC Asheville, but nationally? Sure. Uh, I think, you know, UNC Asheville, much smaller impact. But for some of the schools that have large research grants in which they they rely on graduate students to do meaningful research, these are not just make-work jobs. These are jobs that, that not only help move a project along, but are part of a graduate student's learning experience. They prepare them for the field. And, and these are not high-wage positions. You know, this is not quite often these positions are similar to a stipend. They get you through so that you can focus on your studies, you can focus on advancing the work, complete your degree in a timely way. What it what it could do is it could it could you know elongate the time to completion of degrees. It could have students think this may not be a good idea for me to work on this project, so therefore I will, you know, uh, work someplace else and so you could see a slowdown in some of these projects. So I think it's it's something where there could be an impact on on students on the meaningful contributions that they make to these research endeavors and on the results of the research endeavors in solving complex problems. What do postgraduate degrees give to society, people who are able to achieve them, and through things such as receiving tuition benefits to do so? Well, we were in a time in our in our history here in the United States and across the world where we all have to be lifelong learners. The world is changing quickly. And so the, the need to stay current, the need to some fields now require, you know, to, you know, certain professions require that you continue on, that a bachelor's degree is no longer where you stop. You have to get a master's degree in order to continue to grow in the field. So um, you certainly want, I would certainly want someone who is working in a highly skilled profession, say in the medical industry, who has to have a master's degree. I would want them to be as best qualified as they can, also matched up with the ability to deal with the human conditions that go with that. So I think that, um, you know, we're in, a, we're in a time with lifelong learning as a necessity. The world is changing. We all need to continue learning. And some fields demand ongoing education and certification and advanced degrees. So this could, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to backslide on those matters at all. And we don't want to create disincentives for people to continue to pursue that level of education. And again, I guess coming back to a bit of perception, um, higher education has become politicized in many ways. If you look at the partisan divide on it, there were a few studies that were done over the summer, one by the Pew, by Pew that show, you know, Republicans view higher education more negatively than Democrats do. Washington Post had a big write-up on it uh, as this tax bill was, coming, uh, was going through Congress. Again, is that perception? And even if it's, if it's perception or reality, how does higher education begin to combat that? That's a great, great question. And I think it's a little of both. I think that we're in a time in this country where we don't have a lot of trust in institutions. Higher education operates within an institutional structure. So, so there seems to be a general distrust of bureaucracies and institutions. So there's that piece of it. But I also think that um, we have to continue to support the work of our educational institutions, because if we don't, we are in serious trouble as a country. We need an educated population. We need an educated citizenry. And so sometimes it means that we're going to have conflicting and contrasting ideas. And sometimes when, when we think differently, that gets people um, concerned. Well, you know, have you ever have you ever been in a classroom where some of the best exchanges 
happen to be when people disagree. And so I think one of the important things, many of one of the many important things we do in education is figure out how to have those hard conversations. Because if we don't have those hard conversations, Matt, we're not going to do our best work. So I think that in this country, there's a general distrust of institutions. I think that higher ed gets lumped into all of that. Um, so I think that is, there is some perception, there is some reality, but it almost doesn't matter because Perception can sometimes define reality. So we have a responsibility to make sure that we're able to show, yes, our students are learning. Yes, we are contributing to our communities. Yes, we make a difference. And we shouldn't be afraid to have those conversations. We shouldn't get defensive about them. We need to bring in individuals who maybe don't know us you know, completely or distrust us and show them what we're doing. I imagine you might be making similar speeches in your next job since we'll be looking at the United States Senate. So um, discuss a bit about what you're going to be doing next and what the institution you're working for uh, does and um, how you're taking your experiences from higher education and UNC Asheville to it. The, yeah, the role the role of the the Edward M Kennedy Institute for the United States Senate is to look at some of the things we just talked about um, civic engagement how do we help people understand how the levers of government work and I'm not talking about party politics I'm talking about government structures how do you make a bill how do you make a law how do you bring the, get all the data together to make our best decisions I would argue we need to be doing more and more of that right now so it's look it's reminding people of that and teaching it again Helping students across the country in all grade levels understand, you know, how how this all works. Because it does, it's messy, but it, it can work. When it works effectively, it works very well. Civic engagement. What does it mean to be part of our engaged communities. And again, I'm not talking party politics. I'm talking every one of us as a citizen to be responsible in our own community. So how do we, how do you, how does somebody understand those opportunities? How do we get the next generation thinking about um, running for office? And again, not poli- you know, not Republican or Democrat, but we need good folks coming into city councils, school committees, mayor's positions, because the country is changing. And we need to make sure we're making more room at the table, put more seats at the table, not fewer seats. So that's some of the exciting work ahead and doing that in partnership. And when I think about my time in higher higher education, I've been in public higher education now for Oh, I'm, I'm longer than I'd like to admit, but a long time. And everywhere I've gone, I've been fortunate to build on my learning for the next place. And I think my 16, 15 or 16 years now of leading public liberal arts institutions has prepared me for this. It contributes because the liberal arts is about thinking and challenging ideas and helping people to sit together through complex conversations. I take from that what I've learned from there through a variety of individuals that I've been privileged to work with, and I will carry some of that with me into my new role. And I take my, and I think that the work I'm doing next is about continuing to educate and bring people together and build on foundations. Um, and that's some of the exciting work ahead for me. Final few questions will go back here to, to Western North Carolina and Asheville. Um, the population in this area is aging. Um, so how important is it to have an institution like Ollie? Critically important. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I, when I look at what we do at UNC Asheville to think about when we have a day like we, we, like we did last week where we had an education game where we had middle school kids coming onto campus and they're the future students. And then I looked around campus and I saw all of our students doing their good work, the energy, the smarts, the hope, the opportunities they come with them. And then I travel up the hill to the Reuter Center and I see uh, the incredible talent and richness up there of people who are coming to us from a 
variety of walks of life and experiences and then what they bring with them in terms of their capacity. They're mentoring our students, Matt. They're serving as role models. They're creating internships. They're um, engaging. And I think all of us, it goes back to when we were talking about the need for continued credentialing. As we age, we all need to continue to learn. And as we age, we all have something to contribute. And Ollie is a hub of energy and excitement and intellect, which is extremely valuable to this community. It's a place where people coming here from other places can find an immediate way to connect and meet others and get engaged. So the big sort of broad question here for you, um, what will you miss of Asheville? Oh my gosh. I will miss everything about Asheville. Um, I will miss... The people that I've met here, I will miss the university terribly. It is a that university is one special place. The faculty, the staff, the students, the the board members, that has been just a special way to do this work in the last few years with a great, great community. Individuals right in this city, I've you know, from from people in official roles to unofficial roles, it's this is a very warm and welcoming community. I've found it that way. I will miss that. I will miss the ability to to have a city that's accessible, you know, in terms of size. I can be across the city. We may sometimes some days get stressed out about parking, but when I think about bigger places, you can pretty much find a parking spot and walk to where you need to go. That may be heresy, but I will miss the scale of the city. The food, the the beauty, um, the being able to look out a window in an urban setting and see these beautiful mountains, the history. There's a rich, rich, rich history here. We're going to miss all of it. And and we um, we consider this to be a, a part of our lives now and a place that we intend to stay connected with. And um, we will take with us many good friends and many good memories and 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 use this as a way of entering the next part of our life. And lastly, what is the future of public education? We talked a lot about it here, but we're in a very um, important moment in U.S. history right now about this. What is the future of higher education and higher public education? I think the future of public higher education has never been more important. And we have to make sure public higher education has been the education that has changed lives. If you think back to the greatest generation, when they came back from the wars and and they had the opportunity to continue their education, and, and it was through scholarships, and they were able to go to public and private institutions, but they had the opportunity, as they should have after serving the country, to go pursue an education. That generation led to transformational work across this country. Every generation has benefited from access to high-quality, affordable education. This is not a time in our country's history to backpedal on that. We have so many challenges here across the country and across the world. We need individuals from every walk of life to be educated, to be those problem solvers, to be those engaged citizens, to be the entrepreneurs, to create the next set of jobs that will help contribute back to communities. Public higher education is an investment, not an expense. And it is something that we have to continue to support. We have to figure out, institutions have to figure out how to always steward the public dollar well. That's a huge responsibility. And we have to use it well and wisely and efficiently. Um, But we also have to continue to invest in it because our future is at stake if we don't. And it changes lives, Matt. Public higher education changes lives. And I think that the public liberal arts is a place that changes them in some very profound ways. 
you get to have the last word of anything you'd like to say to uh, to the area, to our listeners, to uh, to anyone here about your time in Nashville. Well, I just want to um, thank this community for being such a a, um, a wonderful place to call home, to live, to work, to grow, to thrive. I would I would just encourage everyone here to to embrace this university, to see it as your own. Everyone should be a bulldog. That's what I like to say. So this is our university, and it will continue to be a strong, flourishing place with the support of this entire community. We've been so fortunate to have that support, and you can see the excitement that comes from that, the partnerships that come from that, and I know that will continue. So I just want to say thank you um, to this very generous community, to all of the individuals who have rolled up their sleeves and jumped into building the UNC Asheville that will last another 90 years. And so I say thank you. We don't say goodbye. We say we'll see you later. And I have to end with a go Bulldogs. Well, Chancellor Grant, thank you so much for coming in today and speaking with us. And uh, we hope you won't be strangers. And it sounds like you will not be, as you're saying, uh, as you just said. We will be back. And thank you, Matt, so much. I appreciate your time.